Same nice Andrew, ball. you hey. center you. Andrew. Damn. Same nice Andrew, ball. you hey. center you. Andrew. Damn. Oh, the old body, the old bones are shaking and aching this morning, I tell you. I've been overdoing it on the golf course, would you believe it? I've got like tennis elbow, but for golfers. It's really, really, really throbbing and aching. And I walked nine miles yesterday. I did my uh, elliptical challenge, or as I call it, the travelator. I feel I see myself as some sort of gladiator. Uh, not, you know, probably not the gladiator like Russell Crowe or the ancient Roman gladiators who had to defeat the lions, but more like uh, Jet or Wolfman, the ITV uh, gladiator show during the 1990s. I'm more of that, that type of gladiator, I think. Spandex, maybe a sort of dodgy curly mullet. That's how I really, really, truly see myself here. But yes, I'm, I'm tired today. It's aching last night. After playing golf, cancel my golf for the weekend because we have another snow Mageddon, a late season snow. Or as the local news says, yeah, we have a late season snow and we'll be going to be showing it at five o'clock, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, nine o'clock and ten o'clock today. It's the late season snow event here in Colorado. That's basically the whole thing. It's, It's becoming... A mini-series. It could be a box set, this late-season snow that could hit 12 to 18 inches of snow. It was nearly 90 degrees yesterday, people. 90 degrees. But luckily, I took my sweater along to play golf, but there was a dust storm. It was like the sands of the Sahara. They would, if they think about making the new Mummy movie, yesterday would have been perfect. You could have had the Mummy with the swaddling falling off their face forming in the distance I mean it would have been a perfect scene for a a new mummy film or possibly Indiana Jones it was unbelievable I've never seen a dust storm like it it was a little Saharan uh, to say the least but I'm sure you're very very happy I've uh, relearned how to make an omelette I've made some absolutely crappy omelette attempts over the course of the last couple of weeks here we're sticking to the side all the filling was oozing out. But I, I, I suddenly realized again that I need to shake the omelette. You have to shake your money maker, basically. Lots of oil, lots of butter, so it doesn't stick to the pan. Forget non-stick. These things don't even work. They start sticking. But butter in the pan, a little dash of water in with the eggs. I, I normally do two eggs, whisk it up, dash of water. Then you put it in, then you put your filling in like the Mexican stringy cheese, I like the cheese hanging off my chinny chin chin if possible. And um, I've rediscovered the, uh, the delights of the, uh, the omelette. I used to make it many years ago for my daughters. And I think they got bored of it, I probably got bored of it. And uh, now I've, I've discovered, I've got the knack, it's all in the wrist. You just, you know, you just give it a whiz around. And uh, you've got yourself a perfect French omelette. A little bit of asparagus as well in there. It's absolutely phenomenal. It's a good start to the day. Good start to a Friday when I'm incredibly tired. 
and I'm one and a half cups in of tea. I think it's going to be a four or five cupper, cupper morning uh, for me today. Just to ease into the weekend. And then you've got, we've got a huge snowstorm coming in, 12 to 18 inches this af- uh, over this afternoon, evening, into tomorrow. And um, I'm going to have to sort of rejuvenate my yak tracks. They're sort of slightly broken. It's almost like uh, laying on a bed of nails because the yak track starts digging in the feet. It really isn't the sort of um, acupuncture one needs when it goes through the shoe. Then it lets water in and you've got a prick on your foot as well. That's, that's never a good never a good snart, start to a snowy laden meander, is it really? Hope you're having a lovely time. I know the weather's fabulous everywhere here, but uh, I'm battening down the hatches. I think you know I'm going to watch a couple of box sets tonight. I'm going to get a pizza in early to make sure the guy can get here before the snow arrives and he has to trudge his way through probably, who knows, 12, 18 inches. We just don't know yet. But there we go. That's the snowy tale I have. You can always listen back to another snowmageddon I had in March 2021 where we had several foot of snow and poor little Jack the Rat Terrier, I had to build a tunnel for him to get through just to... uh, to survive the late winter's day. But as I said, it's a snow event here in Colorado. Five o'clock, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, showing on all cinemas near you. Well, they wouldn't say cinemas, would they? They would say movie theaters, I suppose. So top of the shop uh, this morning, I did um, show you a clip or put a clip up that basically was my uh, golfing partner from last week. Now you're paired up with random people. And this guy was a uh, real character. Um, some, uh, my love thought, thought it was he was like Matthew McConaughey. He certainly wasn't as good looking as Matthew McConaughey. He is more, I think, of a Forrest Gump. And we'll be talking a little bit about Forrest Gump later, because Forrest Gump has made, and I, did I say Forrest Hump again? I've already said Forrest Hump first thing in the morning. Yes, you don't want a Forrest Hump, because it can be very prickly. Now, if, um, if it's evergreen needles, that could be very very uncomfortable if it's a forest hump if it's an oak tree or where the leaves fall you're fine you've got like a bed of leaves to have your forest hump on anyway forest gump will be making an appearance he made an appearance he photobombed a picture from in the week and it was a huge event going on near waterloo station uh, in the uk we'll be talking about that uh, a little bit uh, a little bit later on but yes anyway this golfing partner now he was the one who had about four or five cans of beer before he started he had six cans um by the end of the game and he kept buying cans from the uh, beer lady who comes around and then he started vaping marijuana as well now how are, i would be holding the wrong end of the club if it was me at that point and uh, you know that was a little snippet of him damn damn boy damn that's what he said damn boy anyway welcome along to the show hope you're settling in uh, to a lovely weekend ahead of you as I said, I'm going to be uh, hauled up inside probably most of the weekend. Uh, dogs and I, we may go on a wintry trek. Maybe I'll record that for you, the listener. Another snowy trek. Um, but anyway, today, dogs love the handkerchief. The handkerchief is a fallen part of fashion attire. Nobody has them anymore. Maybe we'll delve in. I think I have mentioned the handkerchief on the podcast before. A few times, but I don't know if we delved into the history of the handkerchief. Uh, also, 
uh, asparagus. We'll be talking about asparagus, the phallic wonder vegetable. Um, also, getting a label. As we know, that my uh, lovely girlfriend hates labels sticking up for anywhere. But getting a label to suddenly pop up at an opportune moment is an absolute delight. We'll be talking about that. Uh, squeaky beds, the embarrassment of a squeak again. But um, also fish curries. When you should and shouldn't eat a fish curry. Um, also, I did see, talking of Jack earlier on the podcast here, I saw the doppelganger of Jack again. And the complete doppelganger. The smell of a neighbour having candy floss for breakfast. I saw my neighbour. I think she was eating, um, what's it called? Flossy foam, candy floss. I, I can't remember what it's called in the US as well. Uh, also, um, as I said, we're talking about the bed. The new bed breaking my bulk has broken the bed possibly a screw loose and not because of screwing um <laughs> anyway um breakfast workout and the eating of old-fashioned oats have you tried the old-fashioned oats and i found something what they've tasted like as well and mammatus clouds look like bubbles have you ever seen a mammatus cloud i saw one in the week here is a dodgy mustache better than a beard cleaning a corgi's bottom uh my new uh gym workout acronym uh, also winning the queen's jubilee pudding contest as well are you a secret drinker my grandmother talked talked me uh, on uh, the beginning of the week she told me about a secret drinker she'd come across in the past holy boxer shorts making a reappearance again very very uncomfortable uh, also gold diggers um, my father not very good at making beds Dreaming about college days. I had another odd dream. I was thinking, gosh, I'm sleeping well. I'm working out. I'm sleeping well. And then last night was a pure abomination of a night's sleep. And uh, Branston Pickle and Hair Clay. What a combination. Yes, we'll be talking about that later as well. Welcome along to the program. We have a lovely Friday ride for you. It's more like a little gentle puffer train going along it's not like great america the giant drop or a roller coaster we're just going along i think the way the way i like to see it is it's a gentle puffer train going along and if you wanted to have a cup of tea with saucer you would not spill a thing that's how i like to paint the picture the thumbnail sketch of the podcast so i found out that uh, zelda the labradoodle does like a handkerchief I think all little puppies or dog toddlers like things to pick up, but I've never seen a dog so fascinated by a handkerchief. I mean, people haven't probably seen a handkerchief since the 1950s anyway, but I wanted to bring up, I mean, we talked about it again. It's the thing that saves me really, a knotted handkerchief in the summertime on top of the head. As soon as there's a bead of sweat appearing in the summertime, I need at least two handkerchiefs in my pocket. It's perfect for mopping up that excess sweat. But the trouble is, back in the day, the gentleman would always present a clean handkerchief to the lady if, if she needed it for some reason. My sopping wet, sweaty handkerchief probably isn't the best thing to present to a lady, I would say. But stories of hope, heartache and happiness hiding in a humble handkerchief, who could imagine that a simple square of cotton or silk could hold memories of cadness, loss, joy, hope, happiness and love 
of their effervescent folds, but they do. I know because over the years I've heard countless stories of people uh, having a handkerchief they treasure. Some hankies have been saved for decades. Personally, I have handkerchiefs in my collection dating back to 1893. True collectors have hankies that stretch much further back in time for the keepsakes were special to somebody. I have a handkerchief that my grandfather had with an F on it for Frank. Handkerchiefs have been with us in small moments, dabbing a baby's chin, wrapping a child's cup finger, catching a tear while watching an affair to remember the umpteenth time and the major moments of bride's tears of joy, a widow's deep despair, a a marine tucking his wife's perfume hanky over his heart. Uh, Numerous histories of the handkerchief abound with some facts contradicting others. In no way should you consider uh, it a historian or a historical reference, nor a comprehensive history. But this are the details, the minor details behind the handkerchief. Some historians opine the handkerchief originated in China and was first used to shield a person's head from the hot sun. There we go, there's the knotted handkerchief. You laugh about it. Statues dating back as far as the Chow Dynasty show figures holding decorative pieces of cloth. Christian tradition links the handkerchief or sundrium to the shout of Turin offered by Veronica to Christ. The Romans waved handkerchiefs in the air at public games and a drop of hanky would signal the beginning of a chariot race. During the Middle Ages, a knight would tie a lady's handkerchief to the back of his helmet as a good luck talisman. In the 15th century, European traders returned from China with great numbers of peasants' hard scarves, while Europeans appropriated fashion accessories. Renaissance portraits showed men and women holding handkerchiefs embroidered and edged in lace. Handkerchiefs appeared in the Shakespearean plays, Cymbeline as you like it, and most memorably Othello in which a misunderstanding over a handkerchief called Othello to kill his wife and then himself. I mean, I, I would probably kill if it was a dirty handkerchief presented to me and it wasn't, wasn't pressed to an inch of its life. My grandmother was always very, very upset about a crumpled handkerchief. Once considered so valuable, they were listed in dowries and bequeathed in wills. The loss of a handkerchief was recorded in publications as far back as 1665. Considered a symbol of wealth, handkerchiefs became larger and larger until in 1785, Louis XVI issued a decree prohibiting anybody from carrying a handkerchief larger than his. It was a size problem. He was jealous of the size of another man's handkerchief. The tradition of borrowing a bridal hanky may have stemmed from the times when they were too expensive for a young bride to indeed afford. Brides and courtship, the handkerchief served as a, a serendipitous uh, go-between to send explicit messages to the gimlet-eyed observer. I mean, that's a problem with sweaty handkerchief as well. If you're writing a message in a handkerchief, it would get all smudged, wouldn't it? But for, for me... I mean, first of all, they wouldn't be able to read my handwriting on the, on the handkerchief, and then it would be all smudged as well. Soon, a, a whole language of flirting developed, which survived well into Victorian times. It said that Elizabeth I, who carried handkerchiefs embroidered with gold and silver thread, created a whole vocabulary of hanky gestures for dealing with her staff. Royalty notwithstanding, handkerchiefs for the average man were mostly white in colour until the 1920s. If a lady wished embellishment, she would personally embroider colourful flowers or other images on her hankies. In the 1930s, during the Depression, a handkerchief was often the only new item a woman could afford enhance her wardrobe. A woman would change her outfit by changing her hanky. 
There's a lot of Americans out there now saying, oh, the hanky is absolutely disgusting, despicable. But apparently, George Washington uh, had hankies printed for the distribution of the Constitutional Convention in 1787. To this day, handkerchiefs are printed depicting both Republican and Democratic parties. So handkerchiefs do exist in the United States. The birth of Kleenex, so that evil Kleenex sounded the death knell for the handkerchiefs, originally invented in 1920s as a face towel to remove cold cream. By the 1930s, Kleenex was touted as the antidote to germs with the slogan, don't carry a cold in your pocket. Does America truly believe it? I mean, I love the ability to wash, boil wash the handkerchief. Things to make and do with Kleenex tissues featuring Lulu and her magic tricks showing children how to make bunny rabbits with more from tissues. You can make a beautiful swan with a rather stiff hanky. If you've got a stiff starched hanky, you can make a rather beautiful swan. And I'm not going to have it. Hankies versus the Kleenex here. The hankies will always be the victor to the Kleenex vanquished. So very British problems official. One of my favorite Twitterwati, Twitterwati, Twitterwati sites. Meanings of you look well for the British. One, you look well. Number two, you look particularly bad when we last met. Number three, you look larger the last time. Four, you look quite red. Five, you look unwell. Six, I have no recollection of how you looked last time. I just say this to everyone. This definitely isn't relevant here in Colorado today, but what's the weather like today? It's bright and sunny. Hang on, there's a storm. Oh, it's nice again, warm. Actually, it's just gone cold. At least it's not windy. Hang on, washing just blew away, but it's definitely bright. Oh, wait, it's gone pitch black. This is always a huge problem. I mean, I've always got an excessive potatoes and probably about 60 eggs. I've got two huge bags of potatoes at the moment, and I just found some shriveled up potatoes, probably from the Victorian age, at the back of my larder the other day. But getting the right amount of potatoes, that looks about the right amount, so let's add a couple more for luck. Then another couple, but you can always save them and go another couple. Now there's obviously far too many potatoes, so just a couple, and then just one more. Is that Forrest Gump in the background of the photo of the Queen? The Queen opened up Elizabeth Station, resplendent in yellow, with a shepherd's cane to support her. Uh, during the week, uh, made a surprise visit to near Waterloo. The new Elizabeth Line was opening. Uh, some people think, though, that Tom Hanks's iconic character made an appearance with a British monarch this week. A photograph of Queen Elizabeth II has gone viral on Twitter after people spotted somebody they lightheartedly suggested was Tom Hanks' iconic character in the background. Valentine Lowe, a royal correspondent for the London Times, on Tuesday tweeted this picture he took of the British monarch's surprise visit to Paddington Station to officially open the new Elizabeth tube line named in her honour. The Queen looking very good in yellow. There behind the Queen, though, is a man who at first glance could pass for Gump in scenes from the 1994 film, not Forrest Hump, as I mentioned earlier. That's a whole different sort of thing, um, in which he finds himself witness to historical events. Lowe wasn't looking at the background when he took the picture. He told Huffington Post, I was concentrating at the Queen who was looking good at 96 years old. Twitter user Skills McGill's, <laughs> I mean, that's perfectly a lovely name, was among the first to highlight the man's presence. I had to zoom right to check if it was Forrest Gump. 
The tongue-in-cheek tweeted on Wednesday the post has now garnered more than 200,000 likes. I've noticed the image of somebody fervently lurking at the back and zoomed to see who it was. The Twitter user also did not reveal the full name told Huffington Post, lo and behold, Forrest. Laughing like a box of chocolates. I mean, I'm, I'm going into Bill Clinton. I did not have factual relations with that lone woman, Monica Lewinsky. Anyway, lo and behold, Forrest is looking back at me and instantly just appeared as a still from sometime hopping the deleted scene from the film. It is rather lovely to imagine being some way responsible, making many people smile. That seems quite appropriate right now, more than ever, the person added. Those magical AILs are trying to sell me a phone that deletes photobombers. I don't want Forrest Gump deleted from the picture of the Queen. I think it's a rather lovely little revelation. Anyway, playing golf the other day, stopped at the ninth hole, went into the little boy's room, into the facilities, into the guard road and doing my business at the uh, urinal somebody shouted my god have you been eating asparagus i, I mean i very embarrassed blushing every cheek in my body blushing i didn't admit but wholly admitted to myself that i had been eating asparagus and uh, sort of felt rather bad for it at least I didn't smell like beer or marijuana or anything along those lines, but rather wholesome asparagus, those phallic spears, the spears of wonder here. But it made me think, as my curious butler mind does work, that have you noticed that after eating asparagus, your pee, your urine, the Jimmy Riddle has somewhat an unpleasant scent. This usually happens due to the metabolism of asparagus <laughs> asparagusic acid and the concept is referred to as asparagus pee is there such a thing it's there's such a thing as asparagusic acid i guess so it says it's on webmd so <laughs> everything uh, everything there is gospel isn't it however this particular side effect of eating asparagus doesn't happen to everybody so there's some people who don't get the asparagusic pee acid pee and some may not have even smelled such a thing. The article explains why eating asparagus makes pee smell. And some people can smell it and some people can't. Asparagusic acid is a sulfur-containing compound that seems to be found exclusively in asparagus. It's a non-toxic substance. I mean, it doesn't smell like that. Though. It produces a sulfurous odor that they say is similar to rotten cabbage. Since a strong and pungent smell of characteristics may sulfur-containing components such as rotten eggs, natural gas, or skunk spray. I mean, I never knew that. I'm likely spraying out skunk spray. Who would know? Scientists believe that asparagusic acid may be the cause of your pee's funny scent after eating vegetables. Once your body metabolizes the acid, it produces several sulfurous byproducts that are highly volatile. I mean, I hope you're not smoking a cigar whilst you're peeing. Well, I mean, I'm, hopefully, I don't think it's flammable, is it? When you pee, these compounds evaporate almost immediately, which enables them to travel from the urine up to your nose, allowing people to smell them. How long does the smell last? They notice a rotten smell like 15 to 30 minutes after eating asparagus and determine within 25 minutes, half the asparagusic acid consumed has already been absorbed. So it's not going to be a day-like thing, a couple of days. One study in 87 people who ate three to nine spears of asparagus 
found that half-life of the asparagus smell was four to five hours. The half-life of the substance tells you how long it takes to reduce to half of its initial amount. Therefore, it's estimated four to five hours you were smelling as fresh as a daisy. But the effect of the asparagus on urine scent is not universal. One hypothesis called the production hypothesis suggests that only some individuals are capable of producing the sulfurous compounds responsible. There's me. <laughs> I could be the Marvel Asparagus Man, Spearman, coming to a movie theater near you. He smells, but he's phallic and he's spear-like. The hypothesis asserts that non-producers lack a key enzyme that helps metabolize the acid. For example, a small study, 38 adults. I mean, just going around asking people if they've eaten asparagus. Oh, oh yeah, you've had, yeah, you've had asparagus, mate. Will you take part of my study? Eight eight percent of them either didn't produce the smell or produced it at concentrations that were too low to be detected. The other hypothesis, called the perception of hypothesis, states that everybody produces a smell, but some are unable to detect or perceive it. Have you ever had an inferior bed before? It's quite a problem, to be honest. Um, I, they don't make... I tell you, they don't make beds like they used to. They just don't make them like they used to. They used to be so sturdy, and they could be antiques. You could have them for 50 years and no problems. But they make them now, and they're collapsing like an old deck chair. Anyway, so I have an unsturdy bed. Now... Before you ask too many questions, I think it's my size, nothing to do with any sort of nocturnal naughtiness. I mean, it's embarrassing either way, I suppose, here. But I was texting uh, with, uh, with my darling, and um, there's a brass piece that looks very f fancy, sort of very fancy, very fancy. Brass piece at the bottom, brass tags, um, and it's separating... It's separating at the bottom. It's, it's basically the stand at the back that holds the bed up and it's separating. And uh, the question was asked here, can you lift it up and show that it's separating? I said, I can't lift and separate at the same time. I'm not a wonder bra. Hello, boys. I mean, maybe I have a screw loose, but there's no screw lo loose because of screwing. That would be absolutely ridiculous here. But I've got the embarrassment explaining why year old bed is suddenly broken and i just think it's an inferior bed there's no other reason it's nothing to do with my rather nimble but older border collie jumping up onto the bed that never happens we never allow that and there's nothing to do with uh, if the beds are rocking don't come a knocking that's not the case but i had to explain it and uh, and they sort of have to like stealthily dissect what's going on with the bed and what's the problem if it's the brass if it's a separation it's a sturdy bed though i don't know what's the problem but anyway more news i will report back on what the bedman says whenever i talk to him he's probably going to come out and the bedman's going to come over and say what's been going on here is absolute bedlam so any of you boomers or gen x's out there ever go through your old vhs tapes did you buy an old vhs player just to look at what's on the tape and, and, and i think it's a marvelous idea i mean i've got probably hundreds maybe thousands of tapes uh back at the but the house in the uk i mean it makes my mother pull her hair out i mean what are we going to do with these tapes here my grandfather had thousands of tapes that uh i mean god knows what's on it but you've got the game that you can play now and uh it's, it's a game that uh i, I think 
fun for all the fam. Well, not maybe all the family. It's probably X-rated, uh, at least PG-13 here. And you take your VHS tapes. I mean, buy a VHS uh, player for Christmas. Make sure you don't get Betamax or Betamax uh, by accident. And you can play a game of VHS roulette. It's um, it's a pretty... Uh, it's a pretty intense game and it can be very dangerous. Now, what are you going to have on your VHS? A lot of golf coverage of me record a lot of golf. God, I'm fascinating, aren't I? Back in the 80s and 90s. But you know, it can be a very dangerous game. Is it a birthday party or is it porn? And, and, that's, and that's the danger you're playing because they're probably labeled incorrectly. Uh, always look if the tab's been removed. Maybe if the tab's been removed, they can't be re-recorded over. That can probably give you a good signal of what's on the tape. But, you know, there's people who mark birthday parties. And then it might be a little bit of the, uh, how's your father going on on the tape? I mean, and you just obviously don't want to know what, how's your father and what he's doing on the tape. That would be absolutely disgusting. But uh, there we go. Game of VHS, Russian roulette for you. I give to you this new game. And uh, do with it what you want. But just make sure you're very, very careful. Because I'm sure the tape could get stuck in the VHS machine. And it could cause all sorts of trouble. Victor and Albert Museum's Bayer Tapestry deal is going to repair frayed relations with France. It is thought to have been stitched in Britain in the aftermath of King Harold taking an arrow in the eye that apparently never happened. And now after one deal unraveled hopes that had been rekindled that the Bayer tapestry depicting the 19, or sorry, 1066 Norman invasion could finally make a return trip across the channel to Britain. The Victorian Albert Museum has agreed a deal that could pave the way for a temporary return. It could also mean a poke in the eye for the British Museum. Uh, well, hopefully not an arrow in the eye, though. The VNA has signed a memorandum of understanding to share research and expertise with the Bayer Museum in Normandy, which holds the 70-meter-long embroidery. It is also seeking to financially or find a financial donor to help underwrite a joint conservation project. It hopes it will leave future opportunities for research, cultural and scientific exchange, a hint that a larger project could hit reality. Theresa May in 2018, the Prime Minister and President Macron of France agreed to bring the tapestry to Britain, but plans were shelved amid deteriorating relations during Brexit. Claims the work was in poorer condition than previously thought, and it would have been due to arrive this year. The deal led to a face-off between the cultural institutions with the British Museum, the Tower of London, Battle Abbey, on the site of Harold's demise, and the VNA all stalking their claim to hosting the tapestry which has not returned to Britain for 950 years. Hartwig Fisher, <laughs> wouldn't you just love to be called, Hello, my name's Hartwig Fisher. Oh yes, and I'm, I'm at the British Museum and I'm trying to bring the bear tapestry back to the UK. It's all jolly good show, but the frog's not going to let us take it back. Anyway, the most significant loan ever from France, the museum would be honoured. The V&A has extensive textile collection. Uh, it's global renowned, a chairman, Nicholas Coleridge, who has reveled in its rivalry with the British Museum. Coleridge celebrated the V&A's museum shop, overtaking the British Museum to become the country's most successful, saying the British Museum shop increasingly sells teddy bears wearing police helmets, while the V&A shop sells the most beautiful jewelry and incredible lovely William Morris drying up towels. So anyway, so the bear tapestry may be coming back 
to the UK. I wonder if you could like con the because isn't you know the British sparkling wine now because of the uh, the uh, climate change and temperatures getting higher. The sparkling wine in the UK is much higher quality than some of the champagne. But the champ making champagne and sparkling wine in the Champagne region is too hot now. So the, the, the sparkling wine in the UK, so just send it like a crate of the new bottles of uh, vintage uh, English uh, sparkling wine over to, the, uh, over to the French and see what happens then. My question though, this tapestry is 950, 1000 years old, whatever it is, and it's in perfect condition. It's woven together almost like iron. What's the situation? I own a pair of boxer shorts for two weeks and they start having a hole in it. I think I'm going to start having my holy box of sorts of the terribly chafing situations going on. I'm going to have to start getting them hand woven by French embroidery consultants or something along that. I mean, I'm sure it would be a more made with a more stellar material and be a little bit more hardy. So rate my plate now on Twitter. So today we have a dish, and I try to describe it the best I can. It's spaghetti and spinach, pea, parmigiana, and garlic sauce by Christine. It's basically a globule of spaghetti covered in green. Uh, first comment from Louise. W2F, And then there's a picture of the alien dripping acid uh, from Aliens and Alien 2. Then there's the uh, ghost from Ghostbusters, the, the one that basically looks like a squash pea. Cheesy peas and pasta. Mmm. Uh, then I think probably uh, probably one of my favorites here. Just make sure you've got a strong bin liner because that's where that one's going. Slime moment. Oh no, what happened to the Grinch? He looks like he'd been pulverized here. It doesn't look very nice, but spaghetti with peas or spinach is actually very tasty. A bit of Parmesan garlic, even better. A few cherry tomatoes wouldn't go amiss, but the presentation is awful. It basically looks like Oscar the Grouch with whatever he's eating in the trash can. Trying to be Master Chef turned into Disaster Chef. And then my, uh, my favorite of all looks like the aftermath of a Shrek Pornhub session. So as well as uh, rediscovering how to make an omelette, I've also rediscovered the my love of the fish curry, the going curry, or maybe uh, some lovely chunks of haddock or cod in with a vindaloo. But sometimes the chicken is a little bit, uh, I don't know, uh, muscly. There's the remnants of like pieces of chicken that you don't really want to chew up. Sinewy, not very, very good, but the fish, Piece of lovely piece of the fish, lightly cooked in the curry, is lovely. But the problem being, if you have a fish curry, then be very careful when you're going to the gym. The uh, yeah, the, uh, the the travelator. If you if you hop on the travelator, it's probably not going to be the best idea. Let alone the rowing machine, because then you've got the whole motion of the ocean, and you go in an imaginary river that you can't escape from. And um, yeah, basically pulling back and forth after having a fish curry isn't very good. Things, let me dare say, did not go swimmingly.
During the week, Boris Johnson claimed that working from home is less productive as it gets distracted by getting up to make coffee and nibble on a piece of cheese. The Prime Minister made the comments in the Daily Mail and he wanted to drive up productivity. My experience of working from home is you spend an awful lot of time making another cup of coffee. And uh, then you walk in place solely to the fridge, hacking off a small piece of cheese, cheesiest Maximus, and then walking slowly back to your laptop and forgetting what you're doing. Be back better with a block of cheese. Anyway, an awful impression, obviously. <laughs> All my impressions are terrible. But I mean, I have to say, I do get distracted and I go into the kitchen to hack off a piece of cheese. I'm more inclined to hack off a piece of cheese than make a sandwich, so Boris may indeed have a point. But at least he's having a piece of cheese that constitutes a rather robust cheddar. Because if it was like a chevre, like a goat's cheese or something, I mean, you couldn't hack that off very easily. You imagine him having a fairly robust piece of mature cheddar and taking it back to his desk for his next Zoom meeting. And then you have sort of Boris's cheesy fingers all over the keyboard. I mean, it's quite distracting, isn't it, really? I mean, the idea, though, is if you were going to work from home and you had to stop for lunch, you'd want something that was probably oven ready. So I'm getting ready for another snow-laden trip here. The snow piling up next to my door and my naughty barber shaved the top of my back hair. Just when I need it for maybe 12 inches of snow, I need the Sasquatch's back hair and she'd like trimmed off the back to make me t-shirt ready. Apparently you have to be t-shirt ready and wax ready and uh, manscaped ready so your t-shirt's not having pokey little hair sticking out all over the place. But the problem being now, I'm going to get very cold. I'm going to have to get out my uh, cashmere turtleneck just to uh, just to keep warm during this blizzard situation that's going to go on. Because I'm going to have to take the hounds out. I want them to roll around in the snow just to get clean, basically. But they're like paws are laden with mud at the moment. And uh, trying to get a corgi into the bath. We'll talk about this tomorrow, basically cleaning a corgi as she uh, as she barks in the background but thank you very much for listening to the podcast it's been an absolute pleasure having you here i can subscribe where you can i mean you can listen on every platform basically as boris like takes you know lobs off a hunk of cheese of mature cheddar to take back to his desk to nibble on to nibble on looking through his uh, little red case of all the ministerial documents in there then as he lobs off that cheese, as he cuts through the cheese, takes a honk, honch of the cheese, then you can hear keep calm and cauliflower cheese emanating from the enzymes of the cheddar. That's how, much, that's how you can hear the podcast from every available possible portal or portal even. Like and subscribe though. And you can listen on Slacker, Breaker, iHeartRadio, you can listen on Apple Podcasts. There's a Spotify audio version, Audible, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts. You can listen absolutely everywhere. But there is a musical Emporium Butler edition on Spotify where I scatter, I laid in. It's like hundreds of thousands of musical delights 
sprinkled on top of the podcast where you can have a little bit of Aztec camera walk out to winter. You can have some also some raspberry beret prints. You can have scorpions, winds of time, smells like team spirit, Nirvana, some KTB, some Aswad, some wet lag. You can have some war paint going on. You can have some wonderful yacht rock to sail off. And somebody like castigated me uh, on uh, on Instagram saying I like the sound of my own voice and what the hell was I droning on about? Well, there we go. That's what podcasts are about. It's basically me droning on for 45 minutes, trying to find a whole, a little twinkle or even indeed a winkle of entertainment for you, the listener. But coming up next, though, we have a poem. The Spring Snow by William Matthews. Here comes the powdered milk I drank as a child and the money it saved. Here come the papers I delivered, the spotted dog in heat that followed me home and the dogs that followed her. Here comes a load of white laundry from basketball practices and sheets with their watermarks. Here comes snow, a language in which no word is ever repeated. Love is impossible and remorse, yet childhood doesn't end. But accumulates each memory, knit to the next, and the fields become one field. If to die is to lose all detail, then death is not. So distinguished, but a profusion of detail, a last gossip character, passed wholly into fate and fate, into flecks like dust, like flower, like snow. I will be back again probably covered in the white stuff right up to my knees. I will return with a winter tale in the middle of spring descending on summer. But until next time, stay safe out there. Chappy out. Cheerio for now.